Hey there, my five faithful listeners and anyone who randomly stumbled upon this episode. My name is Lydia, and this is the Lydia Todd Pod. It's probably not a good idea to start a podcast because your last name rhymes with pod, but I'm here anyways. From spontaneous trips to special guests to deep spiritual conversations and everything in between, expect inspiration, stories, and plenty of laughter. Grab a glass of milk, settle in, and let's dive into the episode. Season one. I'm excited about it. Um, I don't know. You know how I like this topic. It's it, it's one that I feel like is misunderstood by most Christians. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Lydia, your host, speaking, and thanks for joining for this discussion. If you have a Bible on your phone or a paper one, then grab it, and you probably will want a notebook and a pen or pencil too. But if you don't feel like writing all this stuff down, don't worry, this audio will be there for you to listen to again, or you can look at the notes that I've attached down below in the description. This discussion will be split into two parts because it's really long, and so you guys can listen to part two now. So without further ado, let us begin this discussion. Why did God bring up Job? He was blameless and upright and feared God and turned away from evil. So is it the case that we have God here talking to Satan and saying, hey, what, what about Job? Have you tried to tempt him yet? Is God presenting Satan with a challenge here? So God asks the question, what question did he ask? Have you considered my servant Job? Had Satan considered Job? Verse 9, it says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Yeah, he had considered him. He'd watched him very carefully. He had considered every aspect of Job. Do you think Satan had already tried to tempt Job? Yeah. I have no doubts. And then Satan had to hit that wall over and over again of God not allowing that to happen and God stopping him from being tempted. And then... Satan brings this challenge to God and says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. What challenge did Satan put before God? He said, if you stop, you know, giving him all of these great things, then he won't choose to follow you. Okay, it's deeper than that. He Is he proposing, like in verse 10 with the statement, have you not put a hedge around him? Is he Is he proposing that God is virtually shielding him and protecting him and not allowing Satan? God was protecting him. The hedge around him was the protection. What is Satan asking God to do? To destroy all the blessings that he's given. To destroy Job. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Okay, so would it be just and righteous of God for God to go and destroy all that Job has and to take all that Job has away from him? Would that be righteous for God to do? Would it be just? No, because Job was righteous, he said. Did God do that? God didn't do that. God didn't do it. So God turns it back around on Satan. Verse 12 says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Who was it that took away everything Job had? Satan. Satan. Did God do it? No. No. 
And it's Satan continually tempting Job throughout the entirety of the book of Job. You have to be really careful as you go throughout the book of Job because you have people talking who are not inspired. Who speaks in the book of Job? Job, his friends, his, his wife. wife. Job and his friends, all four of them, right? Are Job's friends correct in their understanding of what's going on? No. No, see, see, you can't trust that what they're saying is biblically correct. You can trust that what they said was actually said. Was Job fully understanding of what was happening? No. Mm -mm. There's even things that Job says that are flat out wrong because Job doesn't have an understanding and he doesn't have a grasp of exactly what's going on. Does Job hear that conversation down through verse 12? No. No. You think about the blessing that we have because we see the conversation. Job didn't see that. First thing that Job knows is he just starts losing stuff over and over and over again, all in one day. That's the first thing that Job knows about anything to do with the situation. He has no explanation. He has no understanding. He has no reason to understand why any of this is going on. He just knows he's losing everything. Verse 15, what did Satan use to tempt Job? When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. What did he use? He used uh, the Sabaeans, I guess, and another group of people that raided. Wicked people? Yeah. Does Satan use wicked people to tempt people? Yeah. Okay, verse 16. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. What was used to tempt Job? The earth. A natural disaster. Yeah, who called it the fire of God? His servant. Did it come from God? No. No. I just realized that. <laughs> we know who it came from because it tells us it came from Satan. Yeah. The servant had the understanding that it came from God. What is it when fire falls from heaven? Do we ever have that today? Lightning. I wonder. Maybe. I think it might be lightning, but I don't know for sure. So natural disasters. That's a big one. We call them acts of God. So did this guy. So did this guy. Okay, verse 17. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay, what did he use? Evil people, violence. Wicked people, violence. Okay, again, eighteen nineteen. what did he use? While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they're dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. What did he use? Wind. Weather. Wind. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, what did he use? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. What did Satan use? Health, poor health. Health. And again, Satan tried to get God to do it, but God turned it back around on Satan, didn't he? 2 and verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. What did Satan use? His wife. So, Eliphaz spoke in chapter 4, 5, 15, and 22. Bildad spoke in chapter 8, 18, and 25. Zophar spoke in chapter 11 and 20. Elihu spoke in chapter 32 and 33. There's 11 chapters here in the book of Job of Job's friends speaking. Did they bring him comfort and peace in his struggling? 
<laughs> Not really. They tried. They were there. What was their goal? They wanted to be there for Job, but they also were trying to get Job to understand some things that they thought they understood. Things that were known from old, as they said several times. Things that everybody just understands and knows. That if you're going through something like Job is going through, you've done something wrong, and you need to repent, and God will forgive you, and God will restore it to you. Over and over through the 11 chapters, they say that. When you get down to the very end, you get down to Elihu, and, and he's my favorite, because what he says is very logical. And he outlines it very dis clearly and very distinctly, and, and he is the best speaker of all of them. But he starts with the premise that God is doing it. And that's the same place all four of them start. They start with the premise that God is doing this. If God is doing this, then God is just. And if God is just and God is doing this, then there has to have been something that Job did to cause this. Is that logical? It makes sense when when they're explaining it. It's like, okay, I see how you get there. But we have all the information, so no. It's logical, but it doesn't start with a proper premise. And when you start with something that is false, you're never going to end up with the right conclusion. So when they start with the idea that God did all this, yeah, it's logical and everything logically follows. If God did it, did God do it? No. Who did it? Satan. Okay, so how can Satan tempt us today? He can use other people. He can use our physical desires. Any of our desires. He can desires? use... Desires? Yeah. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life? Mm-hmm. Wicked people? Wicked people ever been a temptation to you? Yes. Okay. Betrayal? Mm-hmm. The earth. Weather? Yeah. The earth, yeah. Has Satan ever used weather and the physical things of this earth to tempt you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're saying he can control the weather? I was going to ask, I don't know where you're going with this specific question, but my question of the way that God delegated this power to Satan, he... Satan didn't have it already. He talked with God and then God gave it to him. Does that mean that every individual time something like this happens, God chose to delegate that power or that ability for Satan to do that each each time? So you're a little bit ahead of where we're going, but let's let's go there. 1 Corinthians 10:13. 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So does God see each and every situation that every single one of us face? And is he faithful enough to us to evaluate each and every one of those situations and to never allow more than we're able? Yeah. And that's a promise? Yeah, it mm -hmm. is. So we see him in control with Job. Does he ever stop Satan in the book of Job? He does. He draws a line. He draws a line in the beginning. He draws a line with his help in the next chapter. He draws a line at the end of the, end of the book when he says that's it. What if God had told Job in the middle of all this suffering or at the end of all this suffering, what if God had told Job, you're going to live a hundred years longer? And that's all he told him. All Job wanted to do was die. And he lived for over a hundred years after all of this suffering happened. What if God had told him that? Might have been too much. Not said life is going to get better. and Not said, I'm going to restore to you all that you had. Just said, Job, you're going to live for a hundred years longer. I don't know that he could have handled it. Yeah. I don't know. But he didn't say that. 
there were limitations that God placed on Satan throughout the entire process. And yes, Satan did some horrific things to Job, and it was absolutely wrong what Satan did to Job. But yet, God was still faithful to Job through it, because God still placed limitations on Satan all the way through it. Can Satan use our pride to tempt us? Absolutely. Yes. Can Satan use our health to tempt us? Yes. So you're telling me that Satan can make us sick? Yeah, if God allows him to. So it's possible when we come down with a sickness that that's not just random happenstance. It's possible that Satan is targeting us? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Why do we want to take so many bad things in this world and say, well, well, that was just chance. Everybody gets sick now and then. The easy answer to why do bad things happen is because we live in a broken world. That's the easy answer. It makes sense to a lot of people. And the fact that we've been bringing up and you've been talking about how Satan is the source of it makes a lot of sense because that's not my typical mindset. And I think that a lot of people feel the same way that we blame other things. Those, those layers, those middlemen there, myself, I'll blame myself, blame others. And that's why, that's why bad things happen because sin is present, we chose it. And so that broke the world. It was good at the beginning, but now it's not because sin entered it. And that's just, that's the easy answer to why bad things happen. It's the easy answer, but it, it's, it's not, it's, mm -hmm. it's only mm -hmm. half of it. Is God good? Yes. Is everything from God good? Yes. Then anything that's truly bad is from Satan or it's not from God. So when there's a tornado, could it be sent from Satan? When there is a disease, could it be sent from Satan? When you get a headache and it makes you moody and it makes it difficult to do what's right and difficult to think right and difficult to act right, is, is that from Satan? So sometimes bad things are directly from Satan to tempt us. Is it possible that bad things sometimes are a direct consequence of other people's actions? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking of an example of murder. Is it possible that bad things that happen are sometimes a direct consequence to our own actions? Yeah, yes. Okay. If I do drugs, I'm going to have health issues. It is a physical consequence that almost inevitably follows. If somebody breaks into my house and steals from me, I'm going to be without the things that they stole. A direct consequence of something that they have done that is evil. Yet you look at these and they're consequences to sinful actions. They're consequences to giving in to temptations. Where do the temptations come from? Satan. From Satan. The tempter. So are the sources of those things also Satan? Yes. Do we ever perceive things as bad that are actually good? Yeah. I mean, whenever Job's friends are talking... Well, they saw Job as someone who was bad. But he was actually good. So, is a speeding ticket good or bad? I think it's bad if I'm the one who got the ticket, but it corrected my bad behavior. Okay. Is speeding against the law? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Is a speeding ticket for someone that was speeding, is that just? Yes. Yes. Is justice good? Yes. Always? Yes. God is just. Okay. God is just. Is justice always good? We... We want we mercy. We want mercy over justice, but justice isn't. That doesn't make justice bad. Okay, we want mercy, but is justice good? 
justice is good. We've distorted. We're not perfect, and we're the ones carrying out this earthly justice and all and all of our legal systems and stuff. So we've distorted true justice, but justice is is good. So it doesn't matter what we call it. If it's distorted, or if it's mistaken, or if it's if it's wrong, it's it's not just. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If if someone is put into prison for something they didn't do, that's not just. Yeah. If you are driving down the road and the person behind you is driving fast and they radar the person behind you and instead of writing them a speeding ticket, they write you a speeding ticket, is that just? Okay, so our justice system and what we call just, our justice system, it, it's not always just. It's not always just because it's not always correct. Is true justice always good? Yes. yes. And, the, and the only one capable of fully delivering that is God. So, if you get a bad grade on your homework, is that good or bad? It's bad. The bad grade. If you get a bad grade on your homework, did you put the work into your homework that you should have? No. So, you're saying that even though I perceive it as bad, I got what I deserved, so it was just, so therefore it was good. Okay, so... If, when doing your homework, you never put into it the work you're supposed to, and you always get a good grade, is that going to lead to a good outcome? It will not. So the bad grade's good? Yeah. Is it just? Yes. Okay. Why do we view it as bad? Yeah, that's not what we want. It's a negative consequence that we didn't want to have, even though we deserved it. So, prison, is it good or bad? Good. If I were in prison, I wouldn't say good, <laughs> but I'm glad that the people who are there are not in the world and that they're in prison. Okay, so it's bad for them and good for us. I, I guess. I, I guess it's good for them. Okay, is it? No. Is it just? It is just, yes. Is justice good? Yes. Yes. Why do we view it as bad? Prison's not bad. What they did to go to prison is bad. Prison's not bad. Is hell good? What is made to be in hell is not good. Who rules over hell? Satan. Where is Satan going to be in the end of time? There. Doing what? Suffering. Dying. Forever. So is he in control of hell? Well, no. Who's in control of it? God, God is. Okay, so if God is in control of it, is it 100% just? Yes. Is hell good? Yeah. Why is that hard? Because it's not what we want. <laughs> Do we want hell to be bad? Do we want it to be unjust? No, but we just don't want to be there. We don't want to be there. And when we think about it, we think about people going there. And I don't want anyone else to be there either. No, not at all. But it's not hell that's bad. It's the actions that lead us there that are bad. Is there a difference? Yes, there is. So... Without the possibility of hell, would you continue faithful to God? If there was no no reason to do so, or if there was no way for me to be separated completely from God in the end, then no. I would struggle with it. I know we're supposed to love God, and I know we're supposed to obey Him because we love Him. I know that's there, yeah. but, I'm, but I'm not 100% there yet. If, if you take away hell, if you take away the possibility that if I disobey God, I'll be separated from him for eternity. If you take that away, I, I would struggle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it good that hell is a possibility? 
Yeah, it, it will definitely lead people to God. Okay, so if God is in control of it, and it is just, and it is a place where Satan is going to be punished for eternity, and it is a place where evil is going to be punished for eternity, and it is a motivation to help us and to encourage us to continue faithful to God, is is it good? Yes. But, the, but that's so backwards, isn't it? <laughs> it seems that way. Are there times when we misunderstand good and evil? Yes. Are there times when there are things that are good and we view them as evil and things that are evil and we view them as good? All the time. And so our perception of good and evil is something that we struggle with. Why do we struggle with it? Because we set our mind on things of the earth. We're surrounded by this world, aren't we? We're surrounded by this world and we're surrounded by the, all the things in it. And sometimes it becomes difficult to differentiate between what is good and what is bad. Does God ever punish us? Yeah. Hebrews 12. We're going to start in verse 3. Hebrews 12.3, you said? Yeah, that's right. Hebrews 12.3. So he started out in verse 1 and 2, talking about laying aside every weight and sin which so easily besets us. What does chapter 11 talk about? People who have been faithful. So he talks about all of these people of great faith and how that they were blessed by God. And he tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which easily besets us. He tells us to run with patience the race that is set before us. He tells us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So it says in verse 3, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receives. What is rebuking? Correcting. Okay. Does God rebuke us? When you rebuke a child, what do you do? You tell them what they did was wrong, and then usually give them a punishment that shows them that when you do wrong things, there are consequences. Okay. So when the rebuking comes, the rebuking is usually words. The rebuking is usually comes in the form of, hey, don't do that. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't do that because of this, this, and this. Isn't that rebuking? Mm -hmm. Does God rebuke us? Yes. Yes. Isn't that what the Bible's for? Yeah. In a lot of ways, and not completely, but in a lot of ways, isn't that what the Bible does? It, it says us, you're doing this, and this is wrong, and you need to change. If we read the Bible, and we're not seeing changes that we need to make in our life, then we're not studying the Bible for what it's actually saying to us. It continually shows us where we need to grow and where we need to change. What is chastening? Chastening is different than rebuke. Chastise is also different than to discipline, but I still would use the word punishment for both. So when you tell a child, don't do that, and they do it again, what do you do? You discipline them to correct that behavior. And you punish them, right? Yeah. Is that different than words? Yes, it's different. Okay, verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Have we had physical parents that punished us and corrected us? Yeah. Did they rebuke and chasten? Yes. At times, yeah. Did we like it? No. No. <laughs> no, not at all. Are we thankful for it? At the time, no, but yes, now. Now, yeah. Yeah. 
and, and, and it's different at the time. At the time, it's pain, and at the time, it's it's not fun, and at the time, it's difficult. But we look at, back now, and we're thankful for it, and we're thankful because, well, because it's a good thing, because it helped us be the person that we should be, and because it helped us be right. Verse 9, shall we not much more be in subjection unto the Father of Spirits and live? Who's the Father of Spirits? God the Father. Okay, God the Father. Does he rebuke and chasten? Yes. Does he do that today? Yes. Why? Because he cares. Verse 9. We are subject to the Father. Why does he rebuke and chasten us? Why does he punish us? Verse 7. God is treating you as sons. 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. Yes, he loves us, but specifically verse 9. It's, it's in there. We respect them. Okay, yeah. We respect him. It's more than that. So that we will live. What does that mean? Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirit and live? Isn't that why he does it? And he does love us, and we know that. But specifically, he talks about here that God rebukes and chastens us so that we will live. What does that mean? Eternal life. If that is the case, then the rebuking and chastening that he's talking about here cannot be hell. No. No. This is something other than hell because the whole motivation behind this rebuking and chastening is so that we will live. Mm -hmm. So this is something that God does today. This is something that God does in our lives so that we'll have eternal life. Verse 11, it says, Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What's the outcome of the rebuking and chastening of God? Is it fun? No. Is it happy? No. It's painful rather than pleasant. It's painful. It's quite painful at times. Under the Old Testament, how did God punish people? Look at 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 15. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Did God ever punish David? Yes, yes. he did. Multiple times, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How? His son. His son died. Okay. His son died. Did God use death to punish David? Mm-hmm. Physical death, yeah. Did God use wicked people to punish David? Yes. Yes. All right, so next, Leviticus 10, verses 1 through 3. What did God use to punish? Fire. Okay, fire from heaven, fire from the Lord. Uh, verse 1, it says, And Adab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Did God punish them? Yes. But this wasn't, this wasn't so they could live. And it wasn't, was it? No. That's different. Was it so someone else could live? Did God in the Old Testament ever punish people for the benefit of others? Why did all the Amalekites, why were all of they put to, them put to death? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. Uzzah, when they're moving the Ark of the Covenant, why him? Uh, As an example. Yeah. Don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. Don't touch the Ark, right? Yeah. 
And there were times when God definitely punished in that way, but the chastening of the Lord in Hebrews 12 is so that we will live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exodus 9 and verse 22. Exodus 9, 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And through 26. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. What did God use to punish them? Hail. Weather? Weather. Mm -hmm. Okay, 8 verses 1 through 4, what did God use to punish them? Frogs. Frogs? Animals. Animals? Chapter 9 verses 1 through 12, what did God use to punish them? Boils on the skin. Health. Health. Does God punish in the New Testament days? Yes. Where they stole from God, or they hid from God, and he struck them dead. Ananias and Sapphira? Yes. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. Revelation 3.19 I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. No, wait, that was 2.19. That's a good verse. <laughs> That's a really good verse. <laughs> okay, Revelation 3.19 this time. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Who is he talking to? The church. The church in Laodicea. Okay, the church in Laodicea, and he's encouraging them to repent, and he's encouraging them to do right, and he's encouraging to be right so that they will live. 1 Corinthians uh, 11 and verse 30. So you have the church at Corinth here, and in a lot of ways they were not doing what they were supposed to do. And this specific one here is dealing with the Lord's Supper. They were not doing what they were supposed to in regards to the Lord's Supper. Verse 30 it says, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly... We would not be judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Did God punish them? Yes. Why? So that when they were actually judged later on, they wouldn't be condemned. So that they would live, right? So that they wouldn't be condemned along with the world, so that they would live. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Punishment? For who? Those who do not know God. There's a theme that runs through the Bible, and you see it almost all through the whole Bible. You go to the Old Testament prophets, and you see the idea of how long. How long? How long is God going to tolerate sin, and how long are righteous people going to suffer? How long are righteous people going to go through difficult times because God hasn't punished the wicked? And how long until he does punish the wicked? You have that same question of how long asked here, and you have the same question asked about a dozen times in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation, you have the people who are martyred and are at the throne of God. They're asking God in heaven, how long? Is it an easy thing that at times the punishment of God is delayed? No. Is it a righteous thing that... All of the righteous people have to deal with all of the struggles that the unrighteous people place before them. It's painful. Is God going to make it right? He is, isn't he? Why did Rome fall? Because God 
said it would. Okay, because God said it would. There were invasions from outside armies. The Goth and the Germanic tribes came in and attacked. All of this at the same time, there was economic troubles because Rome had done a lot of overspending. Uh, Rome had overconquered and, and conquered more land than they could actually hold. And there was inward division in Rome. Uh, Rome was divided between the east and the west, and they grew apart right before they fell. The government was corrupt. It was one of the most corrupt governments that ever was. And keep in mind, this is the government that Paul's talking about, Romans 13, when he said, submit to higher authorities. It was uh, politically unstable. There were about 20 leaders in about 75 years. They had just one leader after another after another, and Rome didn't change leaders as often we do. It wasn't a, the way they did it. But yet still, the leaders changed because of the instability in Rome. Christianity was part of Rome falling. Rome persecuted Christians. Rome was very strong-handed at persecuting Christians, and then Christianity even later became the state religion, which again was part of their fall. There was corruption within the Christianity, and the corruption within the Christianity at Rome also contributed to the fall of Rome. And so God prophesied that Rome would fall, and he, he prophesied, and he talked about it in the book of Revelation. Did God send heathen armies to punish Rome? Did God send economic troubles to trouble Rome? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did God cause internal division? Have you, have you ever stopped to wonder how many aspects of Rome falling were there because God introduced them? If you go back through history, you can find the reasons that Rome fell. If you look at the list of reasons that Rome fell, you know, I mean, we can go back to the beginning of our conversation. We can ask the same question. Why did Rome fall? God said it would. The moment God said it would fall, was there any hope for Rome? It was done. That was it. And every other thing led up to that happening. Does God punish nations today for wickedness? Sometimes he does change his mind, though. Like when he was going to destroy a group of people, and then David pled for him not to, and then he said, okay, I won't. And, and, and yes, that, that's a future study. Future study. And, and, and that's a really fun study. And you're right, there are times when God does change his mind, but the only possibility of that happening is when the people repent. Does God punish nations today for wickedness? We can. Definitely not every single time. Are there times when it takes a lot of time? And times when it hasn't happened yet. And times when it hasn't happened yet. Does God do this through miraculous or natural means? Na natural means. Okay. Does God punish us as individuals? It says that he does. He chastens us. Okay. So is it possible that sickness is because of disobedience? And sometimes, because we've talked about how sometimes Satan can use this for temptation. Okay, but okay, can sometimes God use it for discipline? And now I just don't get to know which one it is. Can God use sickness to punish us? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Okay, I'm not, not answering your question. We're going to get there. Can God use weather to punish us? Is it possible that some horrific things have happened at the hand of God as punishment? Yeah. Why? What's his motivation? So that we can live. So that we can live. You go down through the list of things that Satan did to tempt people in the Old Testament. You go down through the list of things that God did to punish people in the Old Testament. And the lists, they're, they're, they're almost identical. And, and they're all things that we typically view as evil and bad. 
if wicked people come in and, and do a lot of damage, is that bad? If bad weather comes and destroys a bunch of stuff and there's a lot of calamity, is that bad? And Satan can use health and Satan can use weather and Satan can use wicked people and, and Satan can use all these different things to tempt us. And yet we can also look and we can see that God can use weather and God can use our health and God can use all of these same things to punish us. Can we know then when we're going through difficult times, can we know where it comes from? I don't think we can know. Job didn't know. Job one twenty two. Job one twenty two. In all of this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Job two ten. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women who would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Okay, had Job done wrong? No. No. And did he know he was right with God? Mm-hmm. Look at Job 6 and verse 24. Does that mean that Job had never sinned, ever? I don't believe that either. Uh, he was faithful and he was right with God, but I don't believe him to be sinless. Yeah, okay. 6, 24 through 30. 24. Teach me, and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forceful are your right words. But what does your arguing prove? Do you intend to re rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one, which are as the wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless, and you undermine your friend. Now, therefore, be pleased to look at me, for I would never lie to your face. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Yes, concede, my righteousness still stands. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern the unsavory? Right, who's speaking here? Job. Did Job know that he had not done wrong to deserve this? He says, show me where I've erred. So he doesn't think that he's done anything he wrong. Had he? Did he do wrong to deserve what he was going through? No. 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 Yet there's several times where he mentions thinking that it's coming from God. Was it? No. Did God allow it? Mm-hmm. Did God cause it? No. They are two drastically different things. So why did God allow it? Because it wasn't more than he could handle. Okay. Could there be a bigger picture? I'm trying to think about how it could be so that he could live, but he already was before. Which is why it's from Satan and not God. Yeah. But he wasn't proving anything to anybody. I don't think... I mean, maybe his wife and his friend's faith grew because of this. What about your faith? The, the book of Job often makes people question their faith. Do you think that it's possible that God allowed this for Job for us? Yeah, I yeah, mean, that is possible. Job didn't understand it, and Job didn't have a clue what is going on, but God gives us this insight in the book of Job that we don't have anywhere else. And the insight is that God is faithful, and God is just, and God is not going to cause suffering when it's not deserved. Was Job right with God? Yes. Yeah. Well, Job didn't know it. He knew he had no sin, but he didn't know but what God was causing this. But we get the insight from Job. 
I don't think God allowed Job to suffer for Job. I think he allowed Job to suffer for us. Kind of like how we let Jesus suffer for us. Exactly. And so we see Job suffer and we realize that, yeah, he suffered. But Satan did it. Job never knew that. But if it hadn't been for Job, we wouldn't know that. So when we suffer, how do we know the difference? Well, how do we know if it's from God or Satan? If we aren't in sin, like if we're faithful before God, then he's not going to rebuke us and chasten us to make us change. If we're faithful to God, it has to come from Satan. And the book of Job teaches us that. If we're faithful to God, every single struggle and every single pain and every single calamity and every single hardship, they all come from Satan if we're faithful to God. What if we're not faithful to God? It's hard to tell, but it's probably more likely to be God because his love is way stronger than Satan's evil desires to tempt us, I'm guessing. If we're not faithful to God, we don't have a clue where it comes from. It could be coming from God as punishment, and likely is, and it could be coming from Satan too, and likely is. To what ends would you go to save a child's life? Anything. So if a, if a child has their arm caught in a rock and, and they're stuck there and they can't get away and they're, they're going to starve to death, would you cut off their arm to save their life? If it meant that I could save their life, then If yes. you had to, yeah. We would do almost anything to save our child's life, and the end holds true to other people's children as well. And the things that we we're willing to do to save a child's life, it, it, would, it would be phenomenal how far we would go to save a life even to the point of causing that child horrific pain or disability for the rest of their lives. But we'd still do it to save their lives. If we're not faithful to God, to what ends would he go to to save our soul? Whatever it took. Do you think he would send us illnesses to bring us back to him? Do you think he would cause us pain to bring us back to him? In the past, I would have said... God could use those things to bring me closer to him. I never would have said that God would do it. But I definitely understand the point that we've discussed about me having a distorted view of what good and bad is. And some things that are actually good, I see as bad. And that they're actually good. And if it comes from God, it can only be good. If we suddenly come down with a terminal illness and it wakes us up and it causes us to think, oh, wow, I've, I've got to get right with him. I've got to do what's right. I've got to go to heaven. And we come back to him and we repent and we go to heaven. Would God use that to bring us back to him? In that case, the disease was good. It was good. It was good. And so the way we know that whether something difficult is from Satan or, or from God, we know that when we're faithful to God, God is good and God is just. And when we're faithful to him, God is not going to send us anything like that. Just good. Even if it's good for someone else. Even if the good is pain, right? However, when we're unfaithful, the difficulties and pain can come from Satan, or they can come from God, or they can come from both, and, and we really we don't have a clue at that point. I would much rather believe and know that when I'm faithful to God, every single difficult thing in my life is coming from Satan. Yeah, too bad we don't talk about that. <laughs> right. It flat out scares me to think of what God would do to turn me back to him if I turn away from him.
and it would be good, and it would be just, and it would be righteous. But there's no end to what he would go through to save us all. He sent his son. Now, when we're faithful to him, and we're still going through difficult times, and we're still going through pain, and we're still going through struggles, the full circle to me is Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. All things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Did it all work together for good for Job? Yeah. Yeah. Did Job understand and see all the ways in which it worked together for good? Not until it was all happening. The vast majority of the good is for us. Which he never saw and never knew. That's true. I was just thinking about the, the good that was towards him. He received good in the end of the book, and, and he was. He was blessed by God. But he probably would have rather have died before any of that happened than... He wanted to die several times through the book. Yeah. Not suicidal, but ready to leave this life and ready to go be with God. Yeah. And his kids that had died, he still had to live the rest of his life, even though he was blessed again later on. He still had to live with the mourning, the grief from losing them until he got to eternal life. And if he's reunited there with them, then that is an ultimate good, too. So Paul and his thorn in the flesh, did it work together for good? Yes. Where did his strength come from? Christ. Christ. Did his suffering work together for good? Mm-hmm. It always works together for good. And we're never going to be given more than we're capable of bearing. And God is still in control. And as difficult as life might get and as difficult situ as situations might be, we know that when we're faithful to God, those things are from Satan. And we know God is still in control and is using them for good. I think when we talk about the idea of why righteous people suffer, I think a lot of times we miss the idea of good versus evil. A lot of times we miss the idea of what good is and what righteousness is. But I think it's very important to understand. Can we quickly bring back up so that I can understand? And we may have already, and I just missed it, but... At the beginning, you kind of sprinkled in the idea that because God can only create good things, but evil does exist and we can't deny that, that evil always existed in the first place. Okay, evil was not created by God. Where it came from or how it came to be here, the Bible doesn't reveal. But if we have the idea that God created absolutely everything that exists, both in the physical realm and the spiritual realm, we have a misunderstanding of how the Bible talks about that because the Bible never really addresses the spiritual realm when it talks about creation. So I don't know where evil came from. I know God didn't create it. And it's absolutely necessary to understand that to establish the fact that God is all good. And if you have a God that claims to be all good, but he's creating evil, then he's not really all good. So whether evil has always been or whether it came from something, it's not from God. It's not from God. And that's another study, where, where did it come from? And I know your mind is going down that road, but that's something we will deal with at a later time. Mm -hmm. There will be plenty more to come. And that is another study where we, we, we just don't have all the answers. Well, looking at God's Word on this topic makes me refocus, which I had learned this stuff before, but it's easy to lose track when things happen to you in life. You don't think all the time, of, you don't dwell on the Word, you don't keep it in your heart all the time. And so when something bad happens to you, the, the way the world thinks influences the way that you think. And so I start thinking, why, why is this happening to me? What, what is this from? But if I'm certain that like, I'm living a faithful life, then I know where to put the blame. 
and you know where, where it comes from. Yep. And we know God is placing limits on it. Mm -hmm. I'm extremely thankful that I was present during this conversation. I've thought really, really hard. I'm going to keep thinking really, really hard about this. I can tell that you have put a lot of thought and effort into studying this. I appreciate the way that you are able to articulate that and lead us through that thought process through scripture. I'll probably have to listen to this all again. I started off trying to take notes, but <laughs> that was not possible. I quit taking notes like five minutes in because I was just listening and thinking and reading so hard. But there's a, there's a lot of truth in what scripture has here that I just didn't notice. And a lot of things that I previously thought, maybe because it's easier to explain the basics to a child, the child can't study all of this intricately for themselves, I don't know. But I realized a lot of things that I had not realized before. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that children don't grasp. That hopefully we can lead them to the, some answers when they get older. I really think this is one of them. It's, it's really hard to explain to a child that God can cause painful things. And it's even harder to explain how that can be good. Yeah. And children usually don't even understand the pain that their parents cause them in discipline and punishment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say it's hard for them to understand why they need a punishment to right. grow. Yep. Well, if you are listening to this, then I'm very thankful you stayed around for the whole conversation. And I am going to leave a copy of notes below in the description. For those of you who like to follow along, if you want to discuss this further, if you have more questions, then email or reach out to me on social media and me or Mr. Daniel or Kaylee or someone else who might be able to answer your questions will answer you because it's important that when we have questions that we seek the answer for them. If there's no answer, then at least we can know that that's not something that God has shared with us but it is always good to ask questions as we wrap up this episode of the lydia todd pod i want to express my heartfelt gratitude for you spending time with me this really challenges my belief that i only have five consistent listeners if you have any thoughts topics or questions you'd like me to explore further on future episodes please reach out on one of my socials I hope that our conversations have brought you inspiration and joy. If you have friends or family who might be interested in our conversations, don't hesitate to share the podcast with them.